What do you think will happen if we started looking at our problems as puzzles? How much would our lives change if we learn to look at our daily challenges as not something that causes us pain or fear or worry, but instead a challenge that will make us grow and be better as we pursue their solutions no matter how uncomfortable the process may be? Well, it's another week of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. And this week's episode is just delightful and I cannot wait for you to experience this interview with my new guest. As you can hopefully tell from the intro I just did, this conversation is filled with positivity and this is one of the big themes of this week. So my guest today is AJ Jacobs and he is not just a writer, he is what I call a method writer. Now you may be thinking, oh Nick, I've heard of a method actor, but what the hell is a method writer? Well, I'm glad you asked, and I strongly encourage you to keep listening, and you'll know exactly what that means in AJ's case by the end of our conversation. AJ is a journalist, a lecturer, an editor of Esquire magazine. In fact, one of his pieces in, pieces in Esquire, called My Outsourced Life, was featured in Tim Ferriss's 4-Hour Workweek. He's also appeared on Oprah, The Today Show, CNN, Conan and a lot of other major shows, so I'm absolutely grateful that he has made the time to come on the show today. And speaking of being grateful, gratitude is another big theme of this interview. Obviously, I couldn't resist talking to him about his latest book, The Puzzler, which has already been considered one of the best reads for 2022 since it's released in April. The Puzzler is an account of one man's quest to solve the most baffling puzzles ever, from crosswords to jigsaws to naturally the meaning of life. Okay, (laughs) really interesting stuff. Well, another big theme this week is therefore curiosity. And AJ is just the perfect guest to have for this topic. Now, this guy is a multi New York Times bestselling author of books you may have heard of before. I have to say that he's very humble, but I genuinely enjoyed our chat with his amazing stories. We're talking stories of experience, adventure, all sorts of things that serve as research in writing these very interesting books that I hinted on. That is the way I see myself. I write these books where I spend two years totally immersed in a different world, and uh, it is like method acting. Now, let me tell you what a few of them are. Firstly, The Know-It-All, which is one man's humble quest to become the smartest person in the world. The Year of Living Biblically, this is my personal favorite, where he followed the Bible as literally as possible for one whole year. Okay, you've got to stick around for that one. And Drop Dead Healthy, where he had to revamp his diet, exercise, sleep schedule, and sex life, basically his entire lifestyle to become as healthy as humanly possible. Obviously, there are so many ways this interview could have gone with the plethora of topics and interests my guest has been involved in. So I just want to invite you to indulge in this entertaining, albeit a little geeky, playful, but very insightful talk between AJ and myself. In fact, when my YouTube channel comes up in the near future, you'll see the video version of this interview and you'll see how my face just beams in appreciation of AJ's infectiously positive presence. I don't have problems, I have puzzles. And if you frame your life that way, It's just much more motivating. So without any further rambling or delay, here he is. Welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley, AJ Jacobs. Hey, everybody. It is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to Scale Up for another week. So there's a point where you you sort of hear something for the first time. And it's so fascinating that you become a bit obsessed with it. And then you start (laughs) digging deeper and you realize it's not the one thing. There's a whole plethora of interesting stuff going on. Well, today's guest has has taken me on a bit of a journey over the last few weeks because I found out about one of his books and then I found out about more of his books. And as I said, I don't know where to start today. <laughs> AJ <laughs> Jacobs, welcome to Scale. Thank you. I, what a lovely introduction. And I'll start wherever you want to start. Well, we're going to start with method acting. We're going to start, oh. I thought, because I was thinking, I was like, you're like a method journalist, right? I like, love just to that kick phrase. things off, because the whole concept of method acting, I think most people listening to the show would have heard of that before, is where, you know, an actor or actress, actor, is getting ready for a part and they become immersed in what that part is, right? So if it's someone who's in a mental home, then they go and live in a mental home. If it's a, you know, prize fighting boxer, they, they train like a boxer, all that sort of stuff. 
AJ Jacobs has done that multiple times <laughs> on a number <laughs> of different topics. And we're going to talk about one of your, what well, your most latest project today, which is the puzzler, which correct me if I'm wrong, but like, you know, you spent a hell of a lot of time immersing yourself in the world of puzzles, but there's a lot of different yeah. meetings behind all of that, but let's just, let's just start there and we can riff back and forth. Sure. Well, I love your description and that is the way I see myself. I write these books where I spend two years totally immersed in a different world and uh, it is like method acting. So um, I did one, I'll answer, I'll get to the puzzler in just one second, but just to give some background, I did one where I lived by all the rules of the Bible for a year. So the, the famous ones like the Ten Commandments, but also the lesser known ones, you can't wear clothes made of two different kinds of fabric. That's in the Old oh, Testament. Wow, really? So I, uh, yeah. No, it's poly cotton. I had to get rid of all that. And uh, the Old Testament says you can't shave the corners of your beard. I didn't know where the corners were. So I just grew this thing that made me look like Gandalf. Uh, so that I saw was some pictures of that, AJ. It was, it was incredible. Like <laughs> you actually look like you'd sort of, you know, come down from, you know, the mountain with the two tablets. <laughs> That's the look I was going for. Thank you. My <laughs> wife did not agree with you. No. Uh, but uh yeah, so so that's an example. And my most recent one, which I'm happy to talk about that or anything else, I immersed myself in the world of puzzles because I've always been a fan of puzzles since I was a kid. But during the pandemic, I thought, you know what, this is a good time to just go all in and spend two years trying to solve the most baffling puzzles of every type. So crosswords, Sudoku, logic puzzles, riddles, jigsaws, and I just went around and met the, these delightfully weird characters. And I went to the CIA because they have a famous unsolved puzzle. I, I competed as Team USA in the World Jigsaw Puzzle Championship, and I embarrassed myself. But a lot of it was about all of my books. I try to have a take, some takeaways. You know, how does this make my life better? How does it change my thinking? And there were tons of ways that the puzzle Whoa. project did. And just to give you one meta yeah. um, takeaway was that seeing the world as a puzzle, I think has improved my life because uh, there's a great quote from Quincy Jones, the musician. And he says, I don't have problems. I have puzzles. And if you frame your life that way, it's just much more motivating. Mm. The word problem makes you want to curl up in the fetal position it's well, it sounds puzzle like, has more yeah. aspiration to it doesn't it because it kind of yeah. it assumes the narrative of something can be solved right or yes. there's a challenge to that but i mean i must say i was i was watching a couple of your videos before we um have this conversation today and i, I didn't you end up in some cornfield in vermont mm. for like four and a half hours ringing a bell <laughs> that is right. <laughs> this one was a uh I tried to do the hardest version of all types of puzzles and the, the hardest maze is in Vermont and it is a corn maze and it takes hours and hours. And, and the guy who created it is a delightfully, I mean, he's, he's kind of sadistic. He's like, he's, he told me, you know, people cry, couples break up. One father abandoned his family and drove off because he was so frustrated. So uh, I was like, I'm in. That sounds great. <laughs> so oh, wow. I went up there. And, uh, and I guess one takeaway from that one was that uh, he says he stands up on a platform so he can see people as they, uh, as they try to solve this really hard maze. And he notices a lot of people, and he says, especially young men, which does make sense as a former young man myself, he says a lot of people, they just don't exhibit flexible cognition. They can't make their brains um, flexible and adaptable. So they'll fixate on, oh, this has got to be the right passage. They'll go down the passage. It's, it's a wall. So they go back. Two minutes later, they're down the same passage. And then two minutes after that. So the key to that puzzle, as, as well as so much of life, is being flexible in your thinking. Wow. not falling in love with that one passage or one approach. I want to um I want to unpack a lot of the different learnings from this. 
Um, and but the, the first question, I think, just to put some context here, is you know what was AJ Jacobs like before this, and what we what are you like now after? Well, I um, yeah, I think it it made me uh, one of the mottos of the book. I do like a good rhyming motto. Okay. Uh, <laughs> You know, not all things that rhyme are true, but some of them are. Uh, a friend of mine just told me, wait, what was this one? It was, oh, now I'm going to, I hope you, can you edit this out? No, no, no we don't edit. No, if you're on here, we're just chatting. So you can swear, <laughs> you can do whatever else. It doesn't matter. Like we can always come back to it, but. <laughs> all right. Well, it was, um, oh, I know. It was compare leads to despair. Compare leads to despair. Okay, and I love ahead. that. I think that's a great piece of rhyming wisdom. Because, yeah, if you're, there's always going to be someone more successful, more handsome, more, uh, you know, like if I just compare my life to Jeff Bezos all the time, you know, why don't I have my own phallic shaped rocket? You know, I'm never going to be happy because I'm never going to get one. I know so I compare... the same thing. I have nightmares about that exact thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the worst. <laughs> I am so angry. All right, but the, but the motto, one of the mottos of this book was, um, uh, "Be curious, not furious." So be more curious and tone down the furious, because mm. a, you're just going to be a happier person, and b, if you're presented with a problem, yeah, like a lot of the times, my my gut says, "All right," it makes me so angry. But ironically, that makes it harder to come up with a solution to that problem uh, because our brains go into tunnel vision when we're angry. So be more curious and less furious. And this goes from you know solving a Rubik's cube, which you know I threw a couple of Rubik's cubes across the room during this, uh, but that's not going to work. So be more curious. And it goes for even just interacting with someone who you disagree with or who you're negotiating with instead of, uh, you know, trying to beat them down, uh, ask questions and be like, why do you believe that? Why do I believe what I believe? What can we do to from here? What um, what evidence can I present you that will change your mind or vice versa? So I guess I am hopefully less cure, less furious and more curious after this but it's always a battle i mean i have is, to say i have to say so like much you know, to be angry there's more depth there's more depth to this book than you kind of think right <laughs> on the outside of course well, there's a little byline there which talks about the meaning of life but but one of the things i took away from it was a more of an appreciation of the journey of things mm. right like that was my sort of like because the curiosity thing absolutely comes out um, inspiration comes out too. You know, there's a, there's a thing about sometimes you're inspired by doing hard things, if you like. Mm, but right. the idea that the journey, I, I suppose, also because you've taken on some some potential puzzles which are designed not to be solved, right? Exactly. And so, I mean, I have, right? You can't, if you can't solve it, right? Then all you have is the journey, right? The appreciation of the of the moment of trying. I love that, and I love that was a huge takeaway for me. Uh, I, so I interviewed all of these puzzle experts. And one of them was this guy named uh, Makikaji, and he's known as the godfather of Sudoku. So he didn't invent <laughs> Sudoku. It was actually invented in the US, but it was called Number Place. Uh, and everyone ignored it because it's such a boring name. That's another good takeaway. Like names matter. Sudoku, it just sounds more interesting. It's it actually sounds, it sounds exotic, doesn't it? Yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like you're having like a pina colada. <laughs> well, it's actually a pun in Japan, Japanese, which of course I didn't get, but it means right. bachelor numbers because every number needs to be in its own little box. Right. Okay. Uh, so bachelor. Uh, but anyway, he summed up all puzzles with three symbols. He told me the secret is all puzzles and not just puzzles, but a lot of life is can be represented with question mark, forward arrow exclamation point. So the question mark, you get there, you're like, what, what is this? I'm baffled. The forward arrow is the struggle, the trying things out, experimenting, trying to solve it. Exclamation point is that aha moment, that dopamine. Got it. Uh, and his, you know, he was, he's a wise, he was, was a wise man. He passed away, unfortunately, but he said, one secret to life and puzzles is embrace the arrow. You've got to love the arrow, which is a more poetic way of just saying, 
love the journey uh, because you may never get to that um, exclamation point. And it was actually, I've got a different way of doing it. My, mine is, mine's that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I've just, I've just had a bit of paper with the question mark, a, a messy line going all over the bloody place. And then, then finishing with the exclamation mark. <laughs> Nick, that is brilliant. That now that's innovation. There exactly. you go. There you go. The well, arrow is never straight. You're I'm right. I'm thinking back to my Rubik's Cube experience. I'm thinking I, I wasn't the straight line dude. I was the like throw against the wall guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you just said. Well, nothing in life is a straight line. Yeah, you're absolutely there right. You so I'm gonna you just you just one up to Mr. Kaji. Uh I agree. Oh, well, I, I wouldn't take I wouldn't take that glory, but anyway. <laughs> so so let's talk about some of the key lessons. Obviously, we've shared a couple here. Was there anything uh, that surprised you? I mean, there's obviously lots of different surprises going through and meeting these people, um, but surprises in terms of why someone has chosen to create a puzzle or participate in, in that type of thing. Was there anything that you thought, wow, I didn't think of it that way before going into it? Absolutely. And I mean, just, just what you said, I didn't think of it that way, I think is one of the takeaways that when you're presented with a problem, uh, instead of diving in, pause a moment, step back and say, is there a better way to do this? Mm. So there's a famous example of uh, the 16th century mathematician Gauss. He was a German mathematician and he uh, you know, was a genius. And there's a story, a legend anyway, that when he was about nine years old, he was in math class and the teacher said, okay, here's today's assignment. Add up all the numbers between one and a hundred. So everyone starts scribbling on their pads and he raises his hand like 15 seconds later. And the teacher's like, what? You couldn't have done it in that. that how did you do that? What, what is he? He says, no, I did it. And do you know how he did it? Have you ever heard this? I haven't heard the story. No, I'm, I'm, I'm as present as it can possibly be here. I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> well, the sort of the default, if you don't think about it, if you don't step back, the default is, okay, I'm just going to add one plus two and then add three and then add four. So one plus two is three and then it's six and then 10. And that's quite laborious. And that's going to take you the whole class to do. But what Gauss did and what I think a lot of great problem solvers do in any uh, uh, field is he stepped back and said, is there another way to do this? Is there another... And he said, well, what if I just saw it as a series of pairs? So I take one and a hundred and add those up. And that's 101. Two and 99 is also 101. Three and 98, also 101. And how many pairs are there? That's an easy, they're 50 pairs, right? Because you've got a hundred numbers, 50 pairs. So 50 pairs, each at, uh, equaling 101, that's not hard. That's 5,050. That's, you know, 100 times 50, and then you add 50. So that's the way you did it. Like, it was infinitely easier than going and trying to do it, like the drudge work of adding everything up. I, I would have done the so, drudge work, I have to say. I, I, would, I would have been that, that dude. <laughs> I would have, too. Two. Uh, I know. Well, that's the thing. We've got to retrain our brains to step back and say, is there a better Have way to do this? Have you started to do that? I mean, now that you've gone through and experienced this for, as you said, 18 months, two years, do you look at problem solving in a different way now? Yeah. I mean, I think it is, has influenced the way I act, not just in solving puzzles, but in real life. And here's a silly example of that, uh, but it, it might give you just a sense is I remember a few weeks ago, I was picking um, the law. I have three sons and I'm messy myself. So there were clothes all over the apartment in New York. Uh, and uh, so I would, I was trying to gather them. I'd go around, I'd pick up a few um, pairs of pants and I'd go to the laundry room and put them in the hamper. And then I keep doing that. And it was quite time consuming. And I'm like, what if I turned this on its head, which is another great way to think about problems. What if I took the hamper with me and just went around so then I don't have to keep going back and forth and back and forth. And, and it was much easier. You know, I didn't, maybe I didn't say, I, you know, maybe I saved five minutes, but listen, I'll take those five minutes. Those five minutes will add up. 
So it's that kind of thinking where when you're faced with a problem, don't go with the ruts in your brain. Don't go with like what you've always done. Say, is there another way to do this? Okay, let's play with um, a couple of things I want to play with here. So um, firstly, the general fascination with puzzles. So yeah. let's get into that. And then I want to kind of get into some of the specific experiences that you had, you know, going through this um, and the different things we can learn from that. But but what is it? We've touched on this a little bit here, right? You know, the idea that, you know, doing some hard things, you know, creates a different way of us thinking and feeling about ourselves. There's all that, there's status, you know, if I've you know done this, you know, quicker than someone else has done this and I get an award for it. That's amazing, whatever. But what is the fascination with puzzles? What are some of the things? You've obviously gone much deeper than I have. They're just some of my own sort of thoughts and reflections. Well, what, what you said, I think is absolutely correct. I think there are dozens of reasons people love puzzles and they do like it is worldwide. And from the beginning of time, like there are riddles from, you know, thousands of years ago. Uh, I don't find them very good, but they are. <laughs> so we've, we've, we've adapted and got better over time. I think, us, we're, us, us human beings. I think we're in a golden age of puzzles. I really do. Uh, well, partly it's what you said. We like challenges. We like to set ourselves challenges. And there's a great psychologist who, uh, I don't know if you've had him on the podcast, but his name is Paul Bloom. And he right. wrote a book. He wrote a whole book about why do we love hard things? Why do we, why would we sign up for a triathlon? Why? Like it's painful. Like I run, I run ultra marathons, right. To, to, you know, I do these hundred mile races and we can get into that in a second as to why the hell, why the hell would you do that? I yeah. want to hear your reason. But, cause but let's go crazy. through with um, Cause I've heard of, I haven't read his book, but I've heard of, of thinking behind this. So yeah, let's, let's keep playing with this. Cause I'd like to hear your contrast to it. And what he says, there's, there's a cultural reason. I think mm -hmm. we have been trained to, to think that hard work is good uh, and that it, you know, sort of the Puritan work ethic. And I buy into that. I am a fan of, of hard work. And, and, and then he says, there's also wiring. We are wired to want to solve problems. We're wired to want to finish a challenge because that's how we survive. I mean, the first yeah, puzzle okay. was how do you get food? How do you find a mate? Like those, those are puzzles. And so when we solve a puzzle, we get that dopamine uh, in the brain. And, and so, uh, and, and a third related uh, reason is that puzzles are like practice. And he says, practice is everywhere in the animal kingdom. So when dogs wrestle, they are practicing for when they might have to actually face a real threat. And same with puzzles. Puzzles are amazing practice in how to think and how to solve real life problems. Yeah. Okay. It makes a lot of sense, but there's a borderline a little bit between um, just doing puzzles, but then being obsessed almost to the point of like gambling and things like that. It's slightly different, but there's definitely an addiction part to this. That's uh, true. Yeah. And it's funny. I mean, the, um, when the crossword was first invented in 1913, the New York Times, which is now known as the paper with the most famous crossword, refused to print it because they thought it was a vice. They thought it was like gambling. They, oh, they really? printed all these articles. Oh, yeah. These articles are hilarious. They're like crossword. Crossword causes man to murder his wife. Crossword causes prison riot. Crossword is ruining people's eyesight. And it was like it was like crack cocaine in the 80s. It was. But then, of course, <laughs> they famously made a 180 and now are known as sort of the paragon of, of great puzzles. But I do want to just get back quickly. Why do you do ultra marathons? So there's a few reasons. And I've, I've thought about this. You, you have a lot of time when you're running, you know, for 24 hours to think <laughs> about this stuff, right? In, in pain. Um, it comes back to what you, what you were suggesting about, about challenges, doing hard things, um, for me, it's about finding what I'm capable of, right. In, and doing stuff that is deliberately difficult or challenging. And certainly from the perception of it outside in, uh, just to see what I can do. Right. So there's right. stretching myself around that. There's also a little bit of running away from things. You know, there's a little bit of kind of like when you, when you go and do that type of endurance event, you're so immersed mm. in the experience mentally, physically, psychologically, emotionally, the whole piece, right? Um, that you are very, very present there. Mm. 
And that's interesting in its own right. So you could argue mm-hmm. it's a form of distraction mm-hmm. as much as it is a form of, you know, learning about yourself and what you're capable of. Well, can I just reframe that for a second? Yeah, please do. Because I mean, I love what you say, but I think running away from something and distraction, those are very negative ways to view this. Instead, couldn't you just say that you are seeking the experience of flow and of being in the moment, which is an incredibly positive. I was, def- I was definitely running away from things, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you are right. It is, it is a point of, yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked about flow a lot on this show with um, right. yeah. Bob Herman was on recently. We spoke about that. But I, there is something that, that when you're in that state, you're 100% right. When you're in that state, it feels really good. Mm-hmm. It feels like, you know, you know that movie Limitless? Mm. <laughs> it takes the thing. You're kind I love of, that movie. Yeah. yeah. You're in this kind of everything is like you're so ultra present and everything's bright, right? It right. Does, does feel like that. And you feel very connected, I think, with yourself in those, yeah. in those moments. Right. So I don't think... I wouldn't qualify, I wouldn't categorize that as distraction so much as uh, I'm a little kinder to you than you yeah, are nice. to yourself. Yeah, you, can, you can come on the show anytime, AJ. This is, this is <laughs> my, ther- my therapy session is going really well um, until we get into your book about the Bible and then, you know. <laughs> All right, so let's, 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 play with, um, let's play with this a little bit in terms of what you experienced. I want to kind of go into the journey, right? So you, you went out there. How did you firstly research this? <laughs> what was the starting point? Uh, what was probably the embryonic idea, actually, before we get right. into how you then researched it? How, how did this all come about? Well, this came about, first, I was writing another book for three months. I had, I had a contract and everything, and I, I was miserable. I still think it's an interesting idea. The book, that book was all about fact-checking my life. What do I know and how do I know it? How do I know the world is round? How do I know my wife loves me? She says she does, but I'm not in there. Uh, how do I know Fox News is not more reliable than the New York Times? And it is a fascinating topic, but I was miserable because I was feeling overwhelmed. I was stressed out. And I was like, how do I know this stuff? And my agent said he knew that I love puzzles. And he said, well, why don't you explore switching to a book about puzzles? And I was like, all right, let me think about it. And and for a book, I need a couple of things. One, I need a structure. Uh, and this lent itself to an easy structure because there are so many different types of puzzles. There's, as I said, crosswords, sudokus, mazes, jigsaws. So every chapter could be a different one. Second, I thought this will be good for readers because I can actually put puzzles in. I can make it fun for them to read. Uh, and I even put in a contest. I have a hidden contest in there. I heard about this. It was, it's, it is over in a sense because someone found that and they solved it. Wasn't it like 10 grand grand. you can get or something? Yeah. I read that. So I have sent off my 10 grand, uh, but the puzzles are still online at thepuzzlerbook.com and they're still fantastic. I didn't write them, but they're awesome. And then the third thing is uh, I, I also wanted it to have some self-help, self-improvement aspect, which puzzles definitely do. They can teach you how to think. And then fourth, I needed an inciting incident. I need some sort of like story at the beginning. And, and I actually have one. So the, the, the book begins by, because a few years ago, I was the answer to a clue in the New York Times crossword puzzle. It was like author AJ blank. And that was me. The answer was Jacob's. And I thought, you know, I'm a word nerd since, since childhood. So I'm like, this is, this is the highlight of my life. This is it. This is better than my wedding. Uh, but then <laughs> my brother-in-law emailed me and he did congratulate me. He said, you know, good for you, but you should notice that you're in Saturday's New York Times crossword puzzle. And if you know the crossword puzzles, they get harder and harder throughout the week. Monday is is kind of easy. And by Saturday, all the answers are so obscure that no one is supposed to know them. So his point was, this is not a compliment. This is actually proof that no one knows who the hell you are. Like that you're totally obscure. How nice is that? Because you were nice nice to me now. I feel this this sort of this uh, pull to defend you, AJ. Well, thank you. (laughs) Well, but the I'll tell you two things about it. One, uh, I and I knew that as soon as he sent it, like, this is a good story. Like, I love this, you know. Uh, so I told the story on a podcast and 
as a result, one of the New York Times crossword puzzle makers was listening to the podcast and he decided to rescue me. And he put me in a Tuesday puzzle, which oh, is close to Monday. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, redemption. I am in a Tuesday puzzle, which I don't And you've been in it twice now. Even, so it's even now better, I've been right? in it twice. So, so it wasn't just luck. Right. <laughs> and then also being able to use it in my book. So that is that is another theme I've addressed over and over in my books is yeah, sort of taking um, something that seems like a curse and turning it into a blessing, trying to make you know, something bad happens to you, what can we do to actually make it so that it's actually a good thing? And, uh, and, and did you get into a, because uh, we've used the word a couple of times, a sense of flow when you started to get more, you know, your mind started to think about this book, right? Because like, you know, did it, was it, was it, I suppose I'm asking, was it an easy book to write in the perception of you just got really immersed in it? I'm sure it wasn't easy to write in terms of all the stuff you had to do, but, <laughs> but like, you know, did, did it captivate you and just bring you in? And for that period of time, you know, you, you were somewhat obsessed with, with just trying to go deeper and then obviously, you know, flesh this out. Absolutely. I mean, I loved, I loved researching it. And as you said, at the start of the show, like you get deeper and deeper. Mm. So, you know, I, even something Rubik's cube, I didn't know much about it, but just the world of Rubik's cube is hilarious. And these people who are in speed cubing competitions where they try to solve it as fast as possible. And it's just mind boggling because the record now is about three and a half seconds, which is just, wow. yeah, really? Read three oh, and a half man. seconds. Like I can barely do like three turns in three and a half seconds. But these kids, and they are mostly teenagers because they've got their brains are going super fast in their hands. Uh, and they do it. They're blindfold competitions. There are solving with your feet competitions. And there are fantasy leagues. Like you can play fantasy, you know, Rubik's Cube and choose your favorite cubers and so it is it's like a sport it's like the Rubik's cube influences with like millions of followers on instagram oh yeah <laughs> just no, you're joking, going, that the whole but time. that is not that no is i know I, I know I'm, I'm joking but i'm not i i i know that all i have to do is get the phone out and i'm going to be able to see that totally. but let's let's talk about we won't have time to go through all of the experiences but let's talk about like the three ones that stand out to you personally i mean we've obviously touched on one but you know maybe right. maybe you kind of like you know maybe the cia one's quite interesting <laughs> oh well. yeah i love that one because uh, i saw you talk about that what was the word there's a word that you have you have to look at a, you have to make it up a certain number of words come together and then there's um statements or phrases oh yeah it is solving the cipher the code yeah the, that's the um, one yeah 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 so this one of my favorite I, I wanted to explore some of the great unsolved puzzles in the world. And the one of them is at the CIA headquarters in Virginia. And it's over 30 years old, but people are still obsessed with it. Really? Is this, and the, no is one, this the Pentagon? Is that where that is? Or is it? Is that what the CIA it is? is uh, no, it's got its own campus on right. in Langley. It's actually yeah. quite lovely. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, saw, again, but, I saw a video of you there. It, it's like an outside puzzle, isn't it? Is that right? Is it in a courtyard? Yes, it is. It was is a sculpture. It's actually yes. a, like a wall, uh, a big metal wall that was uh, made by a sculptor and a a CIA cryptographer, and they've put hundreds of letters carved into the wall. And those letters, if you know the code and rearrange them, reveal these uh, secrets, these passages, and and part of them have been solved. Three of the four passages have been solved but the fourth one remains a mystery even to the cia which is wow. like that's their job and what i love is there are thousands of people who are still obsessed with it and are online all the time just every day i get a new uh, a new message on the board saying oh i think the secret is dante's inferno no it's the navajo code talkers from world war ii and it is just fascinating and i guess to me the two takeaways are one, just the grit of these people, the fact that they've been going at it for 32 years and they still haven't gotten it. And you are allowed to guess. You can send your guess to the sculptor and he will answer, but he charges $50 per answer. Oh, so you can- God, so he's, he's it's, like, it's like having one of those songs that's like a one hit wonder that keeps playing exactly. at Christmas. He right. keeps getting paid a royalty. <laughs> right. All right, like imagine like- oh, a smart business model a day. Was that? He's so smart. <laughs> 
yeah, you should have him on. He's a great entrepreneur. I just, um, I, I just have to do some sort of weird NLP mind trick to get the code off him. <laughs> <laughs> Try that. I'd like it. And well, then I, hope the, he doesn't, I hope he doesn't pass away. Like, you know, he's going to, they're going to have to lock it up in a safe or something. They, he, we do have it in a safe. Uh, but oh, the question no. is, is he going to remember to give us the combination oh. to the safe? People are worried. <laughs> and people are annoyed that maybe he, it, it, it doesn't even have an answer. Maybe it's a big troll. Uh, but the second takeaway uh, to that one was uh, there's a phenomenon called apophenia, which mm-hmm. is uh, I had never heard of, but it's actually very important to understanding humans, which is apophenia is when we see patterns where there are none. We see signal in the noise. Like, for instance, we see the face of the Virgin Mary in a piece of burnt French toast. So that's, mm. uh, or I've or seen that in pizza. Food. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or, in, or the, the, the most popular ones in a coffee, like, you know, where someone does that funky thing where they try and do the coffee bean, but right. then it turns into Jesus's face or something. Exactly. I know. Um, I so it's, that, a thing. it's called a thing. What was it called again? Apophenia. Apophenia. And, wow. and pattern finding is great. I mean, that is how we have advanced. That's what science is based on. But our brains are so wired to find patterns. We often see them when they aren't there. And you can see this in these guesses that these people are so obsessed that my my way is the right way. I know I saw Moby Dick because there are these three letters that are also in Moby Dick. So it must be Moby Dick and they can't get away from it. But it's also important to understanding just the way the world works, because a lot of conspiracy theories are based on apophenia. You see a pattern that doesn't necessarily exist. QAnon is a classic example. They are obsessed with, they found these links and uh, no amount of evidence will dissuade them. So uh, those were two big takeaways aside from just being able to go to the CIA, which was wild. Wow. Yeah. No, cause I, I said, I saw a video of you doing that and it looks, it just looked really cool. Um, okay. So that's one of them. Let's, let's do another, another couple. Um, what, what's the one that jumped out the most to you when you, I suppose, you know, when you were researching, you turned up somewhere, you got to meet someone and it probably had the, the biggest impact on, on you in the book. Um, yeah, I, I would say there are a couple, one, one of the chapters that people seem to really respond to is the, um, the jigsaw chapter, because, uh, I actually went to Spain and participated as with my family as Team USA in the World Jigsaw Puzzle Championship. And I'm actually not a huge jigsaw puzzle fan. I or I wasn't. I've now become more. But so we got our asses handed to us. It was just an embarrassment. We we weren't last. I will say that we were second to last. Uh, so we did beat one team, a, a Spanish team. Uh, so that that's almost ex- the worst position, though. You kind of want to be last. Last, last is like they call it the um, the wooden spoon or something. <laughs> At least you get yeah. something, right? Like <laughs> that is true. Well, I was actually I felt good that we had at least beaten someone. That's a, a partial. Who did game. you beat, Very by the way? Out of curiosity, do you remember? It was a Spain had like three or four teams because okay, it was right. in, and I beat a Spanish team. Spanish team. Okay. Um, but I loved it. I loved it for several reasons. One was just the level of like just seeing the LeBron James of any pursuit, even if it's a seemingly ridiculous pursuit. I mean, these people, their hands were moving. It looked like double speed video, but it was live. And, uh, and the passion that these people had and the passion that, you know, during the tournament, we were like, you know, won't talk to the other teams, but afterwards the camaraderie, it like surpassed boundaries. And, you know, the Turkish team gave us cookies and the Russian team (laughs) gave us these bear mascots. And, uh, it was this group, this community that was united by this love of these little cardboard pieces. And it was just lovely. So that was one of my favorite adventures. It's just on that. Cause I just, you spurred a thought speaking like, Obviously, the Rubik's Cube thing, you've got these, as you said, kids or young teenage, whatever, like this, right? And, you know, everything's super quick. I assume the people who are winning these um, uh, jigsaw competitions are doing it super quick as well, right? I mean, what's your thoughts around how much of the brain we use after this experience? Because you know how there's this idea that we only use a certain percentage of the brain, but there are other people who can unlock other parts. You see that sometimes with people who have autism, for example, they can do things that we, we, you and I may not be able to do. 
Right. Has your thought about that changed from going through this experience? Because you must have seen some extraordinary things. I would say what struck me was that these people, not only do they practice and there's that 10,000 hours rule, yeah. I think there's something to that, uh, but they also think about strategy. So like we talked about earlier, you know, instead of just jumping in and just putting the pieces together, what is the best way to put the pieces together? And sometimes it's surprising. Uh, mm. Like the many of the teams, they they did a lot of division of labor. So this person is in charge of the colors. This person is in charge of the borders. This person is in charge of the those dreaded skies when it's all one color. And the way to do that is not by sorting by color, but shape. So you have different, you'll go to a tournament and you have like one, they'll have a line of three innies, one Audi pieces, two innies, two Audi pieces, one. And, and using that strategy, they're able to put the sky together much faster. So to me, I guess that was the, what struck me is people, I don't know if it's using more percentage of the brain, but it's certainly using the brain in a more innovative manner. Yeah, there's definitely something about execution there through practice as well. I had um, uh, a gentleman on recently who's a Navy SEAL who was involved in a couple of pretty hardcore. I won't go into what they were because he told me the whole thing. But God, it was entertaining. Um, but I, <laughs> one of these, um, one of these missions that he was on, um, I said because it was a pretty serious one. I said, "How many times did you practice?" Right, mm. and he said, "Oh, 268 times." Wow, it's not like, it wasn't like a small mission either. It was going into somewhere to basically knock someone off. Right, and I said, "What?" And he goes, yeah, yeah. And we had like, it wasn't just like the, the SEAL team six or whatever. There was like four SEAL teams and they all turned up on the boat and you didn't know who was going to be sent out and they'd purpose built the whole thing. And I wow. said, how much, how, how much did one, uh, you know, one event, one practice take? And he'd say, you know, just under an hour. Like, and you're thinking, my God, right? That and so it comes back insane. to the reason I bring that up is back to strategy and back to, there's, there's probably a point where you practice so much and you try different strategies that you just become so competent. <laughs> Right. right. It's like, you know, I'm yeah. not thinking, you know, no, no sort of thinking fatigue. It's just boom, 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 because it's so right. repetitively programmed. Well, it's funny. I was listening to your show and uh, you had on the guy who's the speaking coach. Uh, oh, yeah. John Bates. Uh, yeah. Was that the one? And he said, I can't remember whether he said it or, or you said that like you practice the speech 12 or 15 times. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. I I had, I was like, I had just done this event where you have to tell a 15 minute story. It's called the moth, but they won't let you use notes. And I was like, well, now I feel either I feel like a fool or I feel superior because I practiced that speech probably like 50 times because I couldn't have notes. So uh, yeah, for me, I am a huge fan of practice because I think your guest talked about you get to the point where you feel so comfortable with it that it seems natural again. And, it, and you can also do a little improv if you've got it down. Yeah, so it's much. so down pat. The, the other thing I learned from that experience, which again is similar to what you were just discussing with the, um, the jigsaw thing is you become so present in the moment because you don't have to think, mm -hmm. you're not thinking about stuff. You're just there. Right. And that, that, opens up a, right. another level of, of general awareness. And I'm sure, again, yeah. I'm just trying to draw the parallels here, but if, if I've practiced so much and I have a strategy, I know how to implement the strategy, I'm therefore more present looking at these puzzles. So actually, therefore, I'm, right. I'm probably going to be quicker because I'm not thinking about the how, I'm just looking at the, the opportunity, right? If that makes sense. But Exactly, exactly. Wow. Yeah, it's, but there's a lot um, in this. There's more into us. It's, it's not just about, you know, doing crosswords. <laughs> well, thank you, Nick. I appreciate that. Well, uh, do, and I'll give do, you one other. Yeah, do one more. And then I want to then I want to just riff backwards and forwards on some of your other books as we finish up because there's uh, some clever stuff there. Um, uh, one more. One more experience. Well, well I got to meet uh, Gary Kasparov, which was oh, exciting. Wow, the chess uh, champion. Chess, chess world champion. champion. Yeah, yeah. Like one of the greatest ever. And he came over to my apartment uh, to talk to me about chess puzzles, which is a whole genre of puzzles. It's where you they're not games. Uh, it's where you have a setup, you're given a setup, like here are five black pieces and three white pieces. Now figure out how to, how white can checkmate black in two moves. And it's, uh, there's a whole culture, like with Rubik's, like with Jigsaw's, obsessed with 
chess puzzles. Uh, and um, I'd say, for, first of all, it was funny because I love him. He's brilliant, but he's a little grumpy. So he was, uh, he did not, <laughs> he looked at my chess set. I had set up a chess oh, set and he's no. like, he goes, this is a bit of a cheap chess set. No. And I, cause it was plastic as something. I, I think that's great online. that you did that. I think that's great. Cause you could have easily got like run out, like into, into New York one morning and gone to the, the antique chess shop. Right. Right. It's like, yeah. it's like getting like, you know, um, Liberace coming around and you've got like this crappy piano and he goes, what's this? Right. <laughs> well, he did forgive me in the end because he said, I grew up in the Soviet union and I'm used to cheap plastic chess sets. So, so that was good. It, it worked out. Uh, but I guess what, you know, first of all, of course, he's brilliant. So I would put up a, I would put up this puzzle that had taken me, you know, three hours and he would solve it in like 25 seconds. And uh, so it was amazing to watch, but equally as amazing is he himself is very open that he's not the best puzzle solver because it is a different skill than ch playing chess. And there are specialists in chess puzzles and they are like grandmasters in chess puzzles and people who compose these chess puzzles and they see them as art and uh so just the idea that just because you are a master of something similar doesn't mean that you're the master of uh of everything like uh that how, how did he explain so that? Because did he say that there's a different skill set or maybe different skill set and mindset to, to the way you approach it? Yeah, there is. It is a different skill set and mindset um, because it's the chess puzzles stress certain uh, areas of chess that are not always as stressed in the games. For instance, surprising moves. A lot of the puzzles are about sacrificing your queen or another big piece. Uh, or uh, instead of promoting, when you get to the end, you don't promote the pawn to the queen, you promote it to the, the rook oh, yeah, or like the knight. Yeah, rook, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, so <clears throat> it, it, it specializes in sort of these surprising ways of looking at it, which, which is a part of chess, but uh, not as much. Uh, so, yeah, I love that. Even Gary Kasparov. Did you get to play it? <laughs> we, we, we so gave, like, that would have been a disaster i mean it wouldn't have taken long it would have taken you know it'd be like playing minutes. like one-on-one -on -one with michael jordan you know right like like now because he's not in his prime anymore right so you might you might get a shot in <laughs> that's true i might take like one piece out yeah of, you out might of like you know, might have to sort of trick him and make him look another direction or something <laughs> either, either way so that's cool i mean so, so and, and just um again for everyone listening how, how many different experiences did you have i mean obviously the different chapters for the different different types of um puzzles but how many different things did you research over the 18 months well there are about 20 chapters in the book and each of them has at least one adventure so you know dozens and and that is my favorite part as a writer i actually love the research i love talking to people and learning new things and i am a writer who does not like writing. I actually hate sitting alone and, and typing out the words. Um, and I have various hacks on how to make it slightly more pleasant, but it is still like getting blood from a stone. Just have a person follow you around. That's the easiest way, right? And just say, this is <laughs> what I'm thinking now. Just write oh, this. Yeah. I know that's not going to work. I know. It's, it's gonna <laughs> no, be I like that. Yeah. It's a good idea. Um, awesome. I mean, I want to, I want to kind of, um, uh, sort of come back to how we started the conversation about method acting, me method writing. Yeah. Um, because clearly that's, you know, this is an adventure book <laughs> as much as right. it is a um, personal development kind of learning book, as much as it is obviously about puzzles as well. So very, very cool. Let's um, let's spend a few minutes before we, um, before we sign off today, just talking about some of your other books. It would be a miss not to talk about them because well, they're just, you, they're just enthralling. Right? So we, we touched on, briefly the year of living biblically all right we'll come back to yeah. that in a second well, there's another one where you wanted to get into some sort of body perfection right that one's right. called drop dead healthy and yeah i was uh supremely out of shape and my wife didn't want me and want didn't want to become a widow in her 40s so she said mm -hmm. you have to get in shape so i kind of took the same approach as i did with the bible where i researched the heck out of it and wrote down hundreds of pieces of health advice. I had a board of advisors 
you know, the best trainers, nutritionists, doctors, researchers. And so I had literally hundreds of, of uh, pieces of advice that I wanted to follow. And it was a full-time job because I had to change the way I did everything to change the way I ate, change the way I uh, exercised, the way I walked, the way I went to the bathroom. You know, there are healthier ways to go to the bathroom. Oh, really? As opposed to, okay, okay. But did you, did you yeah. end up getting like a six pack and looking like a mini version of the rock or something? Well, I did. I did lose weight. I never got a six pack and I was able to rationalize it because I found a Harvard study that said having a six pack was not healthy because ah, you are perfect. putting too much pressure on, you know, one part of your body. I don't know if that's true. It is probably <laughs> healthy, but I was like, I latched on to that. I'm like, look, I don't need a six pack. I just got back so, from Vegas uh, three days ago. And like, trust me, every one of the pool has a six pack. So, oh, and, I know. and everything else is embarrassing. I'm 48. It's yes. embarrassing to be studying those. But, <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, so, it depends how you define healthy too, because that's a big part of it. Like is healthy looking like, you know, well, exactly. model, and then, or is it, is it being able to live longer and live better and enjoy your life? So what that's you, sort of, from that experience, um, how much of what you learned and applied over that period of time have you kept on doing? Um, a lot, but not everything. Yeah. One of the keys was uh, I found a term called um, orthorexia, which is I love. It's a it's to be unhealthily obsessed with being healthy. So you can, if you are, if that's oh, wow. all you think about, if that's all you know, oh, all you do wow. is go There's to the gym. There's lots of people like that. I do think it is. There is some sufferers out there mm. because uh, one key to health is having a close knit group of friends and or family. Like there's so much research that that helps with longevity and your immune system. So if you like, I can't go out to dinner, I got to go to the gym. I can't go out to dinner and have a glass of wine because, uh, you know, I have to eat this, this certain type of asparagus that's only in my apartment, uh, that that's not healthy. So, so there is a little, you know, the moderation, everything in moderation, including moderation. Uh, so that was one takeaway. Another takeaway is, I am, uh, I wrote the book while I'm walking on a treadmill. So it took me about the, the length of the, of the United States. I walked about 3000 miles while writing the book. And, oh, wow. uh, and I still do that. I still write emails and, uh, and do a lot of work on my treadmill desk. So I love that. Another big takeaway was, um, that, uh, the, uh, I realize that most people, and certainly me, have terrible willpower. So trying to uh, account for that and create circumstances where you're not tempted. So putting like all of the crappy, delicious candy food up at the top of the pantry so you can't even see it, um, or not even going into the pantry and saying, like one or just heuristic. not buying it in the first place right that's well there is else. that i have kids so that's a hard one <laughs> no no well we, we, we it doesn't matter where we hide you know these ice creams or whatever it is they get to it <laughs> awesome well, let's talk very quickly about the um because just i'm fascinated by this one the year of living biblically i, I don't i don't think I've, I've seen a better title for a book like the puzzle is great but like you know the, trying to sort of follow the Bible, man. <laughs> we haven't got time to go through it in detail, but I just wanted to showcase some of your other work for our listeners. Um, of course. What, what's, the, what's the big takeaway out of that one? I mean, <laughs> well, that one came, I love that writing that book. Um, I mean, that came about because I, I grew up in a very secular home. As I say in the book, I'm Jewish, but I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian, not very. I don't know if you have the Olive Garden uh, in England. I think you do. Uh, uh, it's a, uh, yeah, uh, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's not real Italian. Food. So, but I wanted to know if I was missing anything by not having any religion or heritage in my life. So I thought one way to learn about it would be the method acting you talk about where I actually live like they did in biblical times. So I guess two take two big takeaways. One was, um, one negative and one positive one ne the negative one was don't follow the bible as literally as possible it's a crazy way to live like i had a huge beard i was stoning adulterers because that's what's in the bible and i <laughs> i used very small stones like pebbles <laughs> i didn't want to go to jail uh, oh god but there are all these people who say oh no uh, especially in america not as much in europe you know they say that 
oh, I follow the Bible literally. That's why I believe homosexuality is a sin. That's why I believe, uh, you know, the world was created 5,000 years ago. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're following some of it literally, but if you really follow it literally like I did, it's crazy, you know? So don't say that everyone cherry picks from the Bible. And I think that's okay. You know, it's okay to cherry pick some because some cherries are delicious and, but some cherries are poisonous. You know, the cherries about intolerance and that's the ones to avoid and the cherries. So, so the good cherries from this experiment were um, some real takeaways that changed my life. And one of them was gratitude. Yeah. Gratitude is huge in the Bible. So that really changed my outlook. Um, the Bible says no gossiping. And I actually, I live in New York City and I work as a journalist. So gossiping was like 80% of my day. And of course, I've never cut out gossiping completely, but I would say I've cut it down by 50, 60%. And it's made my life better. I think I see people in a more positive way because I'm not spending all of my time, my, you know, yeah, so they're huge insights, right? You're like, you know, in terms yeah. of, in terms of psychology and emotional state, mm-hmm. right? particularly gratitude, right? You know, there is, there's a lot of science behind, you know, what that can, if you have that as a practice, right? What that does for your oh, psychology, yeah. right? You know, so I mean, that's, I mean, there's a couple of th- really interesting things you said there. One is that piece, like there obviously are some very um, important um, messages and learnings like that, but also this idea that not, you know, don't follow everything by, by the book, literally <laughs> by the book, right? You know, because a, a, like some of the stuff there just is, is obviously crazy, right? Like right? If you take it literally, so maybe it's not meant to be. Now, I'm not hugely religious in that respect, but, but I do believe that, you know, taking things that align with your personal values and putting them into practice is probably a more, um, well, a more successful approach. A hundred percent. Right. Right. Yeah. Think for yourself. Don't, uh, 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 so yeah, that was a big takeaway and, um, yeah, I think fundamentalism of any kind, whether it's religious or, uh, you know, anything like free market fundamentalism or fascism or communism, any kind of fundamentalism is dangerous. So I try to avoid that. Uh, and that goes back to the flexible thinking, which was such a big part of the, the puzzler. Yeah, wow. Well, listen, we'll finish things up. It's been a great conversation. Um, did, just a quick question. Did you ever do, you filmed some of these things, I've seen it, but did you actually, are you going to make it a show of any, like a TV show or anything from any of these experiences? Well, it's funny. I am, uh, they, they want to make a show about the puzzler. So we'll see. There yeah. was a, a fictional TV, a sitcom based on the year of living biblically. And the people who did it were lovely and the show itself was terrible, which I know maybe that counts as gossiping. So forgive me, but it was just, it was for a big network and they just dumbed it down beyond comprehension. I loved the experience. Like who wouldn't, it's so fun to have someone play you, even though it was terrible. So I'm very glad it kind of never took off. Uh, so, so Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, you weren't happy with his acting of you. <laughs> it wasn't Leo. It was a great actor named Jay. Oh, now I forget his last name. He was on Mad Men. He's a Oh, great right. Okay. Yeah. I love that show. There's a guy um, here in the UK where he's done stuff around the world called Louis Theroux. Oh, I'm a and, fan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I was looking at, like doing some research before you came on the show, a lot of your stuff reminded me of what he does because he goes into these situations and he's got a very matter of fact way of doing it. But he goes and just, you know, showcases really these these crazy things going on in the world, some levels of extremity. And his best stuff is always the stuff which has got a comical um, slant to it, right? Right. Which obviously is similar to yours. So that was thinking this stuff stuff is very similar to that. Well, I am a big fan. So that's a big, and I just read an article about how he's now a TikTok sensation. Oh, there you go. There's your future. Yeah. <laughs> oh man well listen aj it's been awesome having you on the show um well we'll I make sure it. i'll make sure that we link all um all the stuff here we've showcased a few of your books but we'll make sure that the um the puzzler uh, which is your latest book um is into the show notes and things like that and people can kind of go deep into it but just to sort of summarize some of the reflections obviously i drew a really good picture of squiggly lines between stuff that was like that was my personal that. highlight that is a great <laughs> innovation i appreciate and i will credit you if oh don't worry no, it's, it's, we had some fun but you know the, the whole idea of curiosity problem solving you know challenges that lead to you know um you know understanding and appreciating the journey they're all sort of really key takeaways for me from the book. So I recommend anyone to go out there and read it for both information uh, to learn some stuff, but also just for some fun as well. well. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. And 
Uh, speaking of fun, uh, this was super fun. I loved it. So thank you for inviting me on. No worries at all, AJ. Well, listen, great. And um, no doubt we'll catch up at some point around the world somewhere. I always run into um, you know, people who come on the show. So thanks very much for being very gracious with your time. All the best with the book. And we'll see you again well, soon. Thank you, Nick. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.